again today. We had an incredible Sunday last week. We actually had 2,292 people in attendance last weekend. And uh, even more exciting than that, 24 people indicated that they had put their trust in Jesus. So we're just so excited about what God is doing. And, uh, and thank you for being a part of Grace. We're, we're in a series that we call Endgame, and the title we just ripped from the Avenger movie series. And as that's sweeping across the country, we're looking at what the Bible says God's Endgame is and we really need to pay attention to this. I know this is not everybody's cup of tea, but if you think about it, there were hundreds of prophecies concerning the birth of Christ. Hundreds. But for every one prophecy concerning the birth of Christ recorded in Scripture, there are eight recording His second coming to earth. It's all over. In 260 chapters, which is all the chapters in the New Testament... There are 318 references to the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus will come again. It's big, it's all through the New Testament, and it's good for us to know it. And just to put it into context, remember, Jesus said that he would be betrayed, and then he was by Judas. Jesus said that he would be rejected by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And then he was. Jesus said that he would be killed. And then he was. And Jesus said that he would rise physically from the grave three days later. And that's exactly what he did. And then Jesus said, he also said uh, during that last week, that the temple, the Jewish temple that had stood there for hundreds of years, that it would be destroyed. And 40 years after Christ's death, it was destroyed. But Jesus also said other things that we need to key in on. Jesus said he's coming to receive believers to himself to take us to heaven, that that will happen, and he will. Jesus said that before his second coming, the gospel would be preached to all nations, and that's fast becoming a reality, all people groups. Jesus said before he comes to rule, the Antichrist would violate the temple, and that will happen. Jesus said before his second coming, the worst tribulation that has ever happened or will ever be in history will occur, and immediately after that, he would come again. Right after that, he would come to rule and reign on earth, and he will. But as we look at what Jesus said about his own second coming and what the other New Testament writers were talking about, on one hand, we are told that when he comes, it's the day of the Lord. And we're told that when he comes, that it will be suddenly, that no one will know when, that it will be totally unexpected, that we need to watch, be ready, because no one knows the day or the hour when it's going to happen. But then he also said there would be some signs preceding his return to earth. And he named several of those things, including that there would be an Antichrist who would violate the temple. And, and that there would be this worst tribulation. And right when that worst tribulation was over, that he would come back. And so that left us last week with a huge question. Do you remember? Yeah, you're weak on this. Yeah, we left with a question. I'm not expecting you to verbally give me the question by, by word, but 
Yeah, we were left to question, how can that be? How can it be that nobody's going to know when he comes back, that nobody can figure it out, that it's going to catch us all off guard, that's going to be like a thief in the night, Jesus said. And then also, how can it be that, and that it can happen at any time? But then also, how can it be that there are going to be some signs preceding his return that have to happen before he comes back? And that actually give us a timetable that lead up right to the day of his return. How can both of these things be true? That's what we want to answer today. And, and the, the, the answer to that is simply this. That Jesus taught that there were two phases to his return. The first phase, he comes in, in the clouds and comes in the air and he calls believers up to him goes back to heaven. And the second phase, he comes back to earth. He lands on the Mount of Olives to rule and reign. And so when we're asking the question, how can he come back and there'll be no signs preceding it? And then, and then at the same time, how can he come back where there's going to be a series of signs that we know exactly and that when he comes, everybody will know. And that's it, because there are two phases to his coming, and that first phase is called the rapture. The rapture is that first phase where he calls people up, and we're going we're gonna to get into this so you understand this more fully, and then later, seven years later, he returns to rule and reign on earth. Now, Jesus talks about the first phase in John chapter 14, and I, I'd like to turn... For you to turn there, if you're not using a device, it's uh, page 1078 on, on the Bible in the chair rack in front of you. But John chapter 14, we read this before, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Remember, this is in the upper room. It's right before Jesus is, is going to be crucified. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus, here he's teaching about that first phase, that when he left 2,000 years ago, he went to prepare a place. We didn't know how long that was going to last. Still don't. But then he's going to come back suddenly, unexpectedly, and receive believers to himself, and then take them to heaven. And so that's the next thing that we're waiting to happen. Now, when Jesus comes to take us to heaven, that event is called the rapture. And I, I want to define the rapture for you. The word rapture is an English word that we borrowed from Latin, and it's from the Latin word that translates a phrase in the Bible in the next passage that I'm going to read to you where Paul says we are caught up. So that's what the rapture is. So the word rapture is not in the Bible in one sense, in English, but it is in the Bible in the sense that's just a Latin word that we borrowed, we transliterated into English that was actually 
uh, defining a Greek term for caught up. So it is in the Bible. But, so here it is, and that comes, the, the place that most clearly teaches the rapture, it's in 1 Corinthians 15, John 14 I just read, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So I'd like you to turn there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and that's page 1183 if you're using that same Bible in the chair rack. But the, that word rapture simply means caught up, and that's just a translation of a Greek word uh, that's in this text. And here's what he says, beginning of verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That's a euphemism for death. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, that's the word, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So here's what's happening. Paul has been to Thessalonica. He has taught those believers about end times and his return. And now some other teachers have come in and taught some things that are wrong. And so now he writes a letter. He actually writes two letters that have a lot to do with end times. He writes this first letter to them to say, hey, here's the scoop. And, and he straightens out something that they were worried about. And here's what they were worried about. They thought and they knew that the first phase of Christ's return could happen at any time with no signs preceding it. And what happened is they thought that was going to happen so soon that they were surprised when some of their brothers and sisters in Christ died. So some people in the church die. And they're looking forward to that first phase of Christ's return much more than we do because they see it as a glorious event. We always think of the second coming as Christ coming back to earth. And that will be a spectacular event, no, no doubt about it. But for believers, it's really this first phase that's the more spectacular event. That's what they're looking forward to. And now they're bummed out because some of their church members have died and they think they're going to miss this huge event, this event for believers, this first phase of the second coming of Christ that we call the rapture. So they're saying, oh, they're going to miss that. Now Paul writes a letter. And he says, hey, do not worry about that. Be comforted. Because actually those people who died, they're involved in, in this first phase of the second coming. They'll be involved in it. As a matter of fact, even though you're alive, you'll not precede them. Actually, they precede you. I mean, they'll be involved in it before you are, is what he's saying. In this event that we call the rapture. And notice that Paul expects that he might be involved in the rapture because he said, oh yeah, those people have died, but then we, this is what's going to happen to us. 
But it didn't happen then because nobody knows when, as Paul knew. This is the same thing that Jesus taught. For example, when he said he would come like a thief or to live in readiness, in Matthew 24, 36, he said, Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Jesus is saying, I don't even know during my ministry on earth. I don't even know when this is going to happen. He also said a few verses later in verse 44, he said, for this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. And what he's saying is the rapture is a signless event. Nothing has to happen to precede the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians, the very next verse of where I stopped reading is the first verse of the next chapter. And Paul says this, Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And that day, in the Lord, that day of the Lord is that seven-year tribulation period beginning. It's going to happen. It can start at any time. And, and then it's on. And, and basically what we call this is the imminent return of Jesus. Imminency stressing that nothing precedes the first phase of Jesus returning back to earth. And sometimes people will say, well, well the whole tribulation time is about Israel and, and the Antichrist signs a peace treaty. That's how that starts. True, but that could have happened quickly. For example, in ni- there was no Israel after, after this is written, and then 40 years later, when t- uh, the general Titus comes in, he destroys the temple. We talked about that last Sunday. And Israel ceased to be a nation. But in 1948, Israel became a nation in one day. In one day, they became a nation. Things can happen quickly. But what God's telling us is nothing has to happen before the rapture or the first phase of the second coming of Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but here's a depiction. Here's what it could look like, something like this.
So, so we don't know exactly how that's going to happen, you know, but it, it can happen quick. I mean, it can happen at any time, and boom. And the day the rapture happens, millions of people will be gone. They will be caught up. They will be snatched away and snatched away up to Jesus. And that can happen at any time. It could happen during this service. It could happen today. Nothing is keeping that from happening right now. Paul expected it in his day. Millions of people gone, which will cause all kinds of confusion, issues, everything else. And maybe some of the factor ushering in to that tribulation period and a one world leader rising to take power could be part of all that. We don't know exactly. One of the things that it seems like when you talk about this topic, it causes confusion about a couple things. One is, a lot of people say, okay, whoa, whoa, Kevin, you're saying that at this future time during the rapture, the dead in Christ are raised first. But I thought when you died, a Christian died, they're with heaven. Right? Right? Hang on. So when we die, our soul, our spirit is immediately in heaven with God. We have this phrase, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And that actually comes from 2 Corinthians 5.8, I'll read that to you, where it says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. And so when a believer dies, their spirit is immediate, their soul, who they really are, is immediately with God in heaven. Their body stays here, right? I mean, their body's here and we... Uh, you know, we bury it or cremate it or, or whatever. That's their body. We put the body, we commit to the ground. But Jesus is saying there is a time in the future when our souls are going to be reunited with a resurrected and glorified body that will be a body like we've never experienced before with all, without our defects, without our disease, without our sin, you know, the way God originally designed us to be, we will be caught up, meet our soul in the air to be with the Lord. And then after that happens, we who happen to be alive at that time, we will be changed, glorified that our bodies will be changed without us even dying, but we'll be turned immortal as well. And we will be caught up. And then Jesus is going to take us 
to heaven. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, another question people ask, actually, I didn't mention this last time, and I had two people come and ask me in room one, is, well, what about cremation? Should believers do cremation? And it really doesn't matter, because think of Paul. Paul, all the Thessalonians that were asking these questions, they've all died. Paul, who's answering the questions, he's died. What's 2,000 years later? What are their bodies like? Their bodies are, are just dust, right? They'll be resurrected and glorified. And so no matter how you die or no matter how your body is buried, it does not matter. God is bigger than all that. We will be resurrected and reunited with a glorified body if we have died in Christ. Here's, uh, here's the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And Paul says this is a mystery. What does that mean? Well, Paul's mystery means something that has not previously been revealed, typically talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament didn't really see, they didn't really see the whole church thing. They didn't really see how this was going to work because it really has to do with the church. And Paul's saying, well, here's, here's some new teaching in Thessalonians, he says, from Jesus that's, that's about this end time event. So, so that, if that's what the rapture is, then the huge question for Bible-believing Christians is when will it happen? Not that we know the day and hour, just when will it happen? Because that there are four different views that Bible-believing Christians have regarding the timing of the resurrection. And it's regarding the timing sort of in the context of that last 70 that 70th week or that last, that 70th seven-year period, it's all in relation to that, what we call the seven-year tribulation period, or it's also called the day of the Lord, or it's also called Daniel's 70th week. It's seven years long. And if you'll remember, that starts with, it starts with the signing of a peace treaty. Boom, that happens. And then three and a half years later, as Jesus said and Daniel said and Paul says that there will be an abomination that causes desolation. That's where this same leader comes into a rebuilt temple, a third temple that we, that's not there now, and declares himself God. And then, uh, then there's an even greater tribulation. All seven years are tribulation, but the second three and a half years are much worse, called the Great Tribulation. And immediately, Jesus said, at the end of that Great Tribulation is the second coming. Now, the four views of the rapture, here they are. The first view is the pre-tribulational rapture. That means the, that Jesus comes and calls us home before the tribulation period hits. And so, and, and we'll be talking more about this view in a moment. The second view is called the mid-tribulation rapture. And although that line, just for space reasons, is not in the mid, that would actually line up exactly with that midpoint, that three and a half years. And, uh, and that's the mid-tribulation rapture. 
Then there's an offshoot, kind of a newer view that came with Rosenthal, wrote a, a guy named Rosenthal wrote a book in 1990, and that's called the pre-wrath view. And the pre-wrath view, view is a modified mid-tribulational view, and that just says it's in the second three and a half years, but it's before God opens the sixth seal and pours out his wrath and judgment, and so they don't experience that, but, and so you have a modified view. And then the last view, which is it's the first and last views that are most popular, is called the post-tribulational view. The post-tribulational view is at the end of the seven years, uh, when it's all over, that's when Jesus comes back. But before he comes back, he calls up believers to himself, and we have the rapture, and then he comes on down um, to rule and reign. Now, all four views, the rapture essentially has the same five parts if you wanted to really break it down into minute detail. So I just want to do this just to clarify your understanding. So here we have a graph, and on this graph is uh, it's the rapture. This is how the pre-tribulation rapture or any rapture view is. The first four, the, the fifth point is a little bit different in post. And so the, what happens? Five things happen. First, Jesus comes to the clouds. He doesn't come all the way back to earth. He comes into the clouds. Second, the dead in Christ rise first. Their bodies are glorified and reunited with their souls. Third, we who are alive and remain were changed in the twinkling of an eye. We're perishable that becomes imperishable. So we are changed. And then fourth, we are caught up together. Oh, the three and four can happen together. We are caught up as living people to meet Jesus in the air. And then the fifth part is simply that we go Jesus takes us back to the place where he's prepared for us. We go to heaven at that time. And the only difference is, all the views have these, the only difference is on post-trib, they would say, no, we don't go to heaven. We come right back with Jesus, and he rules and reigns on the earth. So they're all very similar. It's all about the timing of when it happens. So, and this brings us back to the question, the central question we're answering today. How can Jesus say that he, his return is imminent or he can return at any moment like a thief? Nobody will know. Nobody will be able to guess when he comes back. And also mention that there are specific signs that lead up to the exact day that he's coming back because of these two phases. But it's because of that question that we believe in the first view, the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, because that's the only view that makes sense of the two things that Jesus is saying. It's a signless event. Nothing has to happen to precede it. First phase of his coming. And that when he comes back, the whole world knows. And we could even count to the day and know the exact day he's coming back. It's only the pre-tribulational rapture that fits that puzzle. And here's why. Pre-trib or pre-tribulational rapture best fits... First of all, for bringing comfort to believers. Remember, the Thessalonian believers, they're sad, they're bummed out. People have died, they're thinking they're going to miss it. And, but Jesus says, hey, comfort one another with these words. Hey, they're not going to miss it. Actually, they're going to go before you, and we're all going to do this together. But that would not be comforting if the believers in Thessalonica knew that before Jesus came back, they were going to be suffering through the tribulation time. And all these bad things were going to happen. 
The comfort is, no, we're all going, and you're not going to be suffering through the tribulation time. He says, encourage each other with these words. It's comforting because we don't go through the day of the Lord. And here's other places that say the same things, because some people you know, could argue about it, but other things. Here's what he said earlier in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He says, and to wait from, for his son from heaven, whom he, meaning God, raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Again, this whole book is written with future times. He says, hey, Jesus who rescues us from that wrath to come. We won't be in the wrath. Later, in 1 Thessalonians, the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, if we're believers, we don't go through wrath because we have salvation, is what he's saying. Revelation 3.10, John says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Notice, we're not only kept from the wrath here, John's saying we're kept from the hour of the wrath. We're kept from the time of the wrath. It's not that we're going through it, but somehow we're isolated. We're kept from that time period, John's saying. Third reason, unlike post-trib, post-tribulational view rapture, the pre-tribulational rapture has Jesus coming to take us to a place that he has prepared for us. That's why he receives us. That's what he's saying in John 14, that he's taken us to heaven. Well, in post-trib, we don't go to heaven then. We go up to come right back down with Jesus, and then Jesus is on earth for a thousand years. We'll get to that some other time. But, uh, and then the fourth reason is this, that the pre-tribulational rapture view that we're raptured before this 70 this seven year period makes the most sense regarding Israel and the church so here's the deal in the old testament the old testament prophets they saw the coming of Jesus the first coming and they saw his second coming but to them they had a hard time distinguishing that these are two different things what they did not see is the 2000 years that we've been in the church age and the reason they didn't see that is because they were Old Testament prophets for Israel, talking about the Messiah, talking about Israel. Everything had to do with Israel. Remember, we started the first two weeks looking at Daniel, specifically Old Testament, Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, begins this way. Just want to remind you. The whole 70 weeks or 70 seven-year periods. He's talking about that's what he laid out for us and remember there were seven and 69 that ran concurrently for a total of 69 seven-year periods 483 years that was the first coming but then that the Messiah would be cut off and then after he says that he starts talking about the 70th week or that final seven-year period but here's how he started all that Daniel 9 24 70 weeks 77 year periods have been decreed for who? For your people, Daniel, and your holy city. All these years, all these, these, these 490 years that he's talking about, it all has to do with the nation Israel. So the 483, the Messiah is going to come, Israel is a country. 
then the Messiah is going to be cut off, and then what the prophets were not able to see is there's this detached, seven, that last week, the 70th week, is detached, and they didn't see that. But what happened during that time is the church. Now, 40 years later, the temple is destroyed after Christ was crucified. 40 years later, there's no Israel from then on, and there wasn't an Israel for almost 2,000 years until when? 1948, after World War II, Britain pulled, we might talk about this next time, but Britain pulls out of Palestine and says, we'll leave it to you guys to fight it out. Israel says to the Palestinians, the Arabic people there, they say, well, let's just divide Palestine up. And they say, no, we outnumber you. We are going to wipe you out. And so Britain pulls out, leaves all the fortifications to the Arabic people. And then Jews, they just have a little foothold in Tel Aviv, and then all of a sudden they go to battle. Everybody starts fighting because they're going to wipe the Jews out. Well, all of a sudden then they, they get a toehold, and they get a country, and they announce themselves in one day. They, all of a sudden they're a nation, and they get half of Jerusalem before they're stopped. And then in 1968, 20 years later, there's another, they're attacked again, and they get all of Jerusalem, and, and they expand their territory. We'll get it, you know, anyway. I'm getting a rabbit trail. Sorry about that. The point is that all these seven-year time periods, 70 of them, they all have to do with the nation Israel. So it makes perfect sense that the church that God is primarily dealing with now is removed because the focus goes back to Israel. So God's people who have trusted in Christ, they're out of there. And now God goes back to dealing with Israel. And during the first three and a half years, there's this major... Uh, revival in Israel, most of the people that get saved during the tribulation time are Jewish people because they have these special witnesses. We may talk about that. But anyway, all that happens. So does that make sense? I muddled that up. I, I got on a rabbit trail. Sorry about that. But yeah, the this, this seven-week period has everything to do with Israel. So the church not being any part of that makes the most sense of that whole situation. Now, if the rapture can happen at any time, and if it's been that way for 2,000 years since Paul wrote these words to the church in Thessalonica, are there any reasons after 2,000 years that we think we might be close to that happening today? The answer? Yes, there is. There are things that make us think that it looks like we are close to that. We'll talk about those next Sunday. But there are a lot of things that are happening that we're going, whoa, that makes a lot of sense this, but nothing has to happen before the rapture. But there are a bunch of stuff that's happening that looks like the day of the Lord, the seven-year period, is coming soon. So why is Paul teaching us this? Because it's emphasized in the New Testament. Well, first of all, so we can live with confidence in our Savior Jesus. Secondly, so we can be comforted about our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died before us. And then third, so as Jesus kept saying, so, and Paul says, so we can live in readiness, so we could be ready. That's why he's telling us. Now, we don't know when Jesus will come back. But we know the rapture, this first phase, could happen at any moment, could happen today. And what we do know is every second that ticks by, his return is closer. And so what should that mean to us? What does it mean to be ready, to be watched, to be alert? 
is that God has given, God's telling us repeatedly, we have limited time. We have limited time. First of all, we don't, we're not guaranteed another day of life. Any of us could die on the way home today. We have limited time. And if we don't die on the way home, Jesus could come back. And we, God has put us here for a purpose, and we have work to do. We have a mission. We have work to do. We have a purpose. And if, you, if you're sitting here going, well, I don't even know what that would be. You need to think about the people that you know and the people that you love and whether they're in Christ. Because Jesus has you here for a reason, but time is limited. We don't have forever to live, and he's coming back. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you uh, for loving us. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for coming for us in the future, Lord. And you're telling us what's going to happen, but it's not just to feed our intellect. You keep emphasizing this in your word because you expect us to act on it. Lord, that we would just live knowing that we are not guaranteed another day of life or before your coming. Not guaranteed. And that we should be about your business. Which is the most important thing that we could do. And that we would think about the people we love around us and the people we know around us. That we would do everything we can to impact them for you, that they would know you. And God, we thank you for that privilege. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.